Kaiju Network podcast where we have a healthy obsession with Kaiju. I am your co-host, Kenton, with me is your other co-host. Jason, how's it going? So we are doing the discussion of Egg on the Atomic Dragon this week. And if you had joined us a couple weeks ago for the commentary, well, here we are. We're, we're talking about it again. Um, but you know what? If you didn't join us for the commentary, all this is going to be new to you. And for people who did join us last week, there will be a few things we'll kind of repeat a little bit in terms of some bits of information about the uh, not really movie per se, but the miniseries and uh, go from there. And I'm assuming, too, like, you know, uh, you know, spoiler alert for anybody who was with us on that commentary. I'm willing to bet that that our final overall opinions probably on the on the film i you know what I, it's a mini series it's not a film but i'm gonna call it a film even though that's technically incorrect since since um, yeah. yeah since all four episodes are put together sort of as yeah, a film um, um, I, I would assume our final thoughts by and large really are not that different from what they were a couple weeks ago so spoiler alert <laughs> and then and then the other thing too if uh, you were on the previous episode and uh, already know or have it know uh, this is going to be our uh, <laughs> last episode for the next couple months uh, as I'm going to be uh, busy in the midst of uh, moving at the moments you can probably see with the the Home Depot box uh, behind me uh, so uh, this will be the final episode for the next couple of months and we will be back uh, on December 18th well yeah uh, basically um, yeah all, two months exactly so almost two months yeah for the most part but yeah mm -hmm. um, so it's going to be weird when we come here <laughs> yeah i'm gonna be yeah christmas <laughs> that and a, a little bit of a different uh setup and location for my side anyways yeah so well, this will be the final the final time all of all of you out there are gonna be seeing seeing what you see behind me or so so before we begin jason give us a tour of your apartment <laughs> uh, yeah, there's really not much. <laughs> all, all of this is uh, basically the uh, the dining room and living room is basically takes up half of the apartment. And then you you know you got the kitchen to my uh, left, and then behind me is the bathroom, and then over here is the bedroom <laughs> behind that wall. So, so that's about it. Garage. <laughs> you can sort of say that maybe a two or three garage, garage worth. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, let's just start with uh, A well, on the attack. Before I do that, uh, before we get on, uh, just kind of a little bit of a housekeeping. Uh, for those that uh, uh, watch us live on streams, uh, although uh, not entirely sure, kind of in limbo with YouTube, just hasn't been really working for the past month or so. Not entirely sure why. Just probably figure something out with that. But besides youtube uh we're on uh twitch d live facebook and twitter and as far as our uh, audio versions of the podcast you can find us at uh, apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify iHeartRadio, and tune in as well and you can also watch us uh live on our own website at daikaiju 
Okay. Are we actually ready? Go. To proceed? <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're all so good. Aegon the Atomic Dragon. I just want to do uh, some quick brief behind the scenes information uh, on it so we kind of get it out of the way. Um, and for those of you who either just aren't fans of commentaries or just didn't join us last time, uh, Aegon the Atomic Dragon was produced by... Um, Oh, shit. I <laughs> Can you look that up, please, while I discuss something else that I do know? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, the original network that uh, aired Aegon the Atomic Dragon, or it's also known as Giant Phantom Monster Aegon. Uh, Japanese uh, title, uh, Moboroshi no Daikaiju Aegon. Uh, but it was originally aired on Fuji TV from January 2nd through January 8th of 1968. Well, and, bef- and yes. However... It was, was produced, produced by Nippon 19- TV. Yes, it was produced in 1964. Toho smelled a rat. And so then they did some investigating and they prevented this thing from being shown uh, for a while. And what ended up happening was that Shiniki Sekizawa, who uh, was a screenplay writer for Toho, for much of the earlier Showa era films, he was kind of involved with this project a little bit. I, I don't think he necessarily wrote. He may, he may have been a consultant. It's not really clear as to what his role was with this project, but he was somehow involved. And then there was a, a special effects technician from Subaraya's um, special effects company involved with this as well. Again, it's unclear to what extent he was involved with this project as well. And as a result of that, Toho was kind of like, okay, you know, this is fine. This is kosher. We'll let it go. So it did not get shown for four years um, because mm-hmm. Toho is not your friend. I'm sorry to say it, folks. Yeah, I'm glad Toho exists. We got a lot of fine, you know, monster and special effects films. But when it comes to public relations and fan relations, it's not really that great. Don't like <laughs> they don't like you. I am, I am sorry. They do not like you. It's not surprising, but <laughs> and also a bit sad, too. Well, it is. And look, this is true. I have uh, seen and even met people who had YouTube channels where either uh, they were threatened to be sued by Toho if they didn't take down certain Godzilla video tributes where they cut together various clips from the movies with music and stuff. I've even uh, come across people who um, uh, – even had their own channels taken down uh, because of it. Like it's been inconsistent uh, as far as the actions that were taken uh, by Toho against some of these people who were doing nothing more than just putting small clips together for like Godzilla tribute videos and stuff like that. And I don't want to go on this tangent here, but basically my point is going back to Aegon they're overly protective. I think it's fine if you're protective of your property. That's fine. But the way Toho does it, it's a bit of an overreach. It's awful. <laughs> it's awful. It's it's a it's an overreach. They they don't like you, and I mean that. They don't like you. They want you. They look at you as a dumb consumer and nothing more. So, you know, that's that's the truth of it, folks. But getting back to Aegon, uh, yeah, because of Toho uh, getting in there. 
temporarily uh, canceling the the debut of Egg on the Atomic Dragon. Uh, it took four years for it to finally come out, and it was a four-part miniseries here. And of course, yeah, I mean, Aegon definitely is another Godzilla clone. It was cashing on the popularity of Godzilla at the time. By the time Aegon was originally produced, um, you know, Mothra versus Godzilla was in production, mm-hmm. and. Um, in fact, it actually it may have even already been out in theaters potentially by the time this was going into production. Again, there's not a whole lot of information on this, at least in English, um, you know, about this miniseries. But um, let's just kind of get into it. The the gist of the story is very simple, kind of. Uh, like a lot of miniseries you used to see here in America uh, back in the 70s and 80s and uh, kind of in the 90s as well. A pretty straightforward uh, plot, nothing wrong with that. Uh, but here, again, simple standard monster fair as far as there have been some weird happenings. Uh, a journalist teaming up with some scientists are investigating, realize there's this kaiju that has been alive been awoken guess what by atomic radiation and then some shenanigans by the kaiju Aegon, take place and then everybody's trying to figure out a way to stop it in the end uh Aegon is driven into the sea and it's just kind of up to the viewer to decide did Aegon die or will he eventually die so i, I think in the end technically Aegon is alive and i think they're kind of hypothesizing will he ever die mm-hmm. uh, and, and even reappear <clears throat> so that's basically the gist of it right um so um <laughs> you know I, I guess i don't know exactly where to start I, part of me wants to try to do something different but i don't know what that different thing would be here for our discussion um <laughs> well, why don't you just start us somewhere uh I would like to start off with the cast uh, for Aegon. Uh, as I take a look at the list of those that are in this uh, movie starring uh, Shinji uh, Hirota, Asao, uh, Matsumoto, uh, was it uh, Nobuhiko, uh, Shimashima, <laughs> Akimi Asawa, uh, Shinya Ire, and yeah, and that's that's about it. And just from that uh, short list of uh, cast members, uh, known cast members starring in this uh, miniseries or feature film, uh, to me, I mean, obviously, I haven't really seen or heard of these people. It's just kind of. They're just kind of a one-hit wonder, as far as I know. I don't know if they've been in uh, earlier or later uh, TV shows or possible feature films uh, before and after uh, the shooting of Aegon. So, in in the sort of sense, um, with uh, with the cast members, I think. I think they did a decent job uh, with what they had as far as a script and uh, as far as uh, the, the direction that uh, they were given and how they acted. Yeah, um, 
again, when you're talking about a television miniseries, again, a lot of parallels to what you see here in the States for about a three or four decade period when many TV series used to happen on a fairly regular basis. Um, that's all changed now, of course. But um, yeah, I mean, it's standard fare. Like here in America, a lot of times your miniseries involved either uh, people who already were involved with television uh, acting, either they were in their own series or maybe they had done other miniseries. Um, once in a great while, you could get someone that was from movies, but typically, if you found people that were in movies, they're usually. Um, you know, like B-movie types. Uh, I forget the actor's name. I want to say his first name is Mark, but he was in the first two Beastmaster movies, and he was the main character in the original V miniseries in the early 80s. So, yeah, he was a movie actor, but let's face it, you know, the Beastmaster movies aren't, you know, your your top-of-the-line type of, of films. They would more or less, and I consider them B-type movies. Yeah, the first Beastmaster is good. Second Beastmaster gets kind of quirky, but, you know, it's still enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, but more or less B-movies. And I think in Japan it's pretty similar. You, you're probably getting people from television or who were in films but just were not superstars or anything like that. Um and again, you know, this is typical Monster Fair. This miniseries is not breaking any ground whatsoever. Like we said here just a short moment ago, this is piggybacking off of the Godzilla stuff at the time. I mean, by the time this started production, either Mothra vs. Godzilla was just getting ready to be released or had already been released. So you're talking about this film piggybacking off of at least three Godzilla films that came before it. And, um, you know, there's just nothing special about it. Does that necessarily mean this film isn't enjoyable? No. Uh, You know, here's the thing, and I've said this, I think, a number of times on this podcast. I used to kind of not care for the Gamera films. In fact, there was even a point where I hated them because I looked at the Gamera films, and I'm like, these are just stupid Godzilla knockoff films. Like, why would I want to watch these? These are garbage. And it took me a number of years, and rewatching them when I became a more mature adult – to really appreciate them, I'm going. Okay, yes, Gamera, you know, is is um, is um, Daie's Godzilla, but there is some charm and there is some substance to these things. And the Showa Gamera films have been actually some of my favorite kaiju films since I've kind of had a resurgence in my own personal fandom, going on almost a decade now, and. Um, you know, I look at Aegon uh, in a very similar fashion. Now, getting back to the acting part, it's fine. I mean, there are moments where I think, um, and this kind of involves dialogue and the writing to an extent, but some of the dialogue and stuff is kind of quirky and ridiculous and dumb at times. Um, but the actors, they do okay. I mean, by and large, they do what they're supposed to do. You're not looking at, you know, someone like an Akira Takarado who is is a just all around a better talent and probably a more seasoned actor at this point, mm. even compared to some of the the other cast members. Um, they 
do what they're supposed to do for a cheap mini series that's piggybacking off of Godzilla films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and I just want to bring up again as far as the uh, the main actress and stuff like. It would have been nice if they could have, yeah. uh, you know, had her perform a little bit better besides just mainly standing around and just kind of holding her hands in front of her, uh, you know, body and everything. And, and <laughs> Part of the problem with her, yes, is the writing. The Part of the problem there is the writers, but then another part of the problem is the person who casted her and the fact that she looks out of it. Like she... That, that and the minimal direction that they gave her. Well, yeah. I mean, there there are issues on both ends here. She shouldn't have been hired. I'm sorry, but then at the same time, though, too, would would they have got if they had gotten a different actress? Would she have done better? I would say she definitely wouldn't look so creepy. Um, That probably would have helped on a small bit but uh, she was very distracting at first when she first came into the film because she just kind of you know like you would see like in some alien films or something like that you know the time just kind of you know this weird creepy vibe and look about her but then they kind of slowly open her up she kind of becomes the stereotypical emotional female gradually as the miniseries progresses um but again she plays no part i remember saying this when we did the commentary here two weeks ago that i'm like there's no purpose for her other than to be the the journalist's love interest and even then that is not explored in as much depth uh again problems with the writing but then again though too what kind of writing are you expecting out of something that is a cheap miniseries that is designed to be nothing more than a cash grab so you know you're kind of like on the one hand yes you can be critical but then on the other hand you realize you can't be overly critical because you you kind of have to believe and i think even the people producing this realized and knew that look we're just trying to get eyeballs and advertisers on this because, hey, Godzilla is pretty popular. This kaiju uh, subgenre is is doing pretty well. We want to get a slice of the pie on that. We're not going to create anything like the first Gojira where it has you know you know a deep human interest story involved. We're just going to do just enough to tell our story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, um, with that, let's uh, talk a little bit about um, the story. Straightforward kaiju. Um, again, there's not much to say about it. I mean, if you're talk, if you've ever seen a giant monster movie, chances are your first movie. I'm willing to bet 80% of the time, a person's first introduction to a giant monster film is a giant monster on the loose kind of film, and that's what this is. Um, I, I do enjoy. Um, some aspects of this miniseries that it it didn't do it that much but it did it a bit more than even some of the kaiju movies of the time did where it slightly dove in to the atomic weapons atomic uh 
power uh, story aspect a tad bit more. Um, it's not a night and day difference, but it's noticeable enough. Um, the most distracting part of the story, and this is one of the things that I think about almost immediately when I think of this miniseries, uh, is the uh, section of the film – I'm kind of using miniseries and film interchangeably, so just FYI um, – <laughs> is when these two robbers show up at this guy's house this is kind of a little bit more towards the end of of the film and you know there's a little boy that kind of shows up periodically this is that little boy's dad and these two robbers get involved they 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 are involved i think was it like a robbery or drugs scheme or something like that they're in a storm in a rowboat yeah yeah they were trying to smuggle uh was it cocaine in the uh the suitcase that's pretty hardcore. You don't even see that in any of the other actual monster <laughs> films. Yeah. But anyways, uh, during a storm, their boat capsizes. They they lose they lose their white magical powder, and so then they come. They just happen to come, you know, up to this house, which is the little boy and his family's house, and then they basically, long story short, uh, take the boy. A hostage and tell his father look you're going to help us retrieve our stuff otherwise we're going to kill your boy and maybe you as well um, and Aegon kind of sort of plays into this a little bit later but the story turns into this whole hostage style situation and then gradually it moves a little bit more back towards Aegon because then our original main characters the journalist, his girlfriend and then the main scientists start to get involved then Aegon Akon, not Akon, not the singer. Aegon <laughs> <laughs> shows up and, uh, you know, just so happens to end up, uh, you know, killing these, these robbers. I, do the, I yeah, they, the they were, guy. yeah, they were trying to, uh, get away in the, the helicopter Oh, and that's right. yep. no. and uh, for some reason, they were just dumb enough to go right towards Aegon, and they had the suitcase, and it was kind of a one fell swoop to try to uh, lure Aegon to use uh, or to dispose the the suitcase of cocaine into him, and so they kind of fell into in place with the the uh, the robbers flying in the helicopter, but then. Uh, Aegon destroys a helicopter and then uh, and everything. I think he also eats up whatever was in there and then yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but they were taunting him though too. Like they were kind of being cocky. They're like, oh yeah, we're going to get away. <laughs> and I'm just like, you idiots. You know, it's just one of those things where it's like, you deserve to die for that. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know? And but, but this it, whole sequence takes far too long. And that's the part of this movie that I think you could have that, but it needed to be tightened up. And the the other thing too, when it comes to that whole uh, robber uh, sequence of the story, is that uh, when it gets to that part, and I think it was in uh, episode three of the the mini series, that it just sort of, and we've talked about this during the commentary, just sort of felt like a completely different story, and it sort of kind of reminded me when it came to the uh, the Death Kappa movie that we t 
talked and or commentated on many years ago that the second half just felt almost completely different at that point at a certain point and that sort of reminded me when it came to the whole robber thing but then once we kind of knew the father and then the other uh this same uh crew and the the boy and the first early two episodes that started to meld kind of back in together so it was just sort of kind of a thorn on the side of the story just felt a bit off and it felt sort of completely different and the other thing that they should have shortened too was that whole cave <laughs> scene which just took way too long as you mentioned in the uh, the commentary episode a couple weeks ago that uh, and I think with the uh, uh the film version it's an hour and a just over an hour and a half long so if they would have shortened that up it could have at least have been maybe an hour 20 minutes but with how long this thing is it probably i don't know probably shouldn't have been that long with how the story uh progress and everything yeah, well, and, and again, it's similar to some, uh, again, uh, uh, American miniseries on occasion. I've seen some American miniseries where, yeah, they will just, um, you know, take their sweet time uh, to just go through a, a friggin' story. And, and kind of what they're doing more or less is padding things out because I think they uh, – by and large are kind of like okay well you know we we got we we agreed to this contract for x amount of nights for x amount of hours um you know this is kind of what we uh gotta do here and um and so I think that kind of was the issue here they realized look we have a bare bones story there isn't much we can do having some drama even though it doesn't necessarily um uh, uh, connect with the story as well as it should it's better than having a bunch of dull moments I, I think that's kind of what happened here and because I think technically if you were to do a super edit of this movie where you did the best you could to streamline this more instead of it being like an hour 33 minutes it probably would come down to maybe hour 20 or something like that maybe hour 15 um and so I think that was just part of the issue here. Does that mean I shouldn't criticize it? No, not necessarily. Uh, the thing is, though, too, I, you had mentioned Death Kappa earlier. The thing is with Death Kappa, that was a movie that ran at its own pace. It wasn't some sort of miniseries where they agreed with a television station, okay, we will fill X amount of minutes over X amount of nights. Um, Death Kappa 2 was a quirky film intentionally uh, as well. Mm -hmm. They did their own shtick there with that. Um, with this, though, um, yeah, like the whole second half of the film, it, you, you get, I think, maybe one or two decent city destruction scenes over the course of this miniseries. But they, I think they dropped the ball considerably kind of once the bank robber uh, storyline begins. That's not only when the film or miniseries starts to slow down considerably. It's just when the the whole thing itself just be 
doesn't become as entertaining because even when Aegon does show up and even after these robbers are disposed of, Aegon does next to nothing. He stands around walking around with this rowboat in his mouth with the little boy inside for I don't know how long and next to nothing happens. Yeah, everyone's standing around freaking out. We got to save the boy. They're trying to figure out ways to um, you know, get the little boy down safely. They try a couple of things here and there. Nothing, you know, is ever really done. They earlier in the film used some stock footage of some self-defense force training uh, to kind of make it look like, you know, they were firing on Aegon later. Um, and then uh, but then they kind of drop. And again, I think part of that was maybe budgetary reasons. Um, Obviously. Uh, yeah, and, and that's unfortunate. But I think your your conclusion is supposed to be not just the area of the film that brings everything together. It's supposed to be really your biggest and most exciting set piece. And the most exciting stuff within this miniseries is within the first two episodes or the first half of it. And then once you get into the latter half, Aegon is barely present. And then even when he does show up next to nothing happens. And that's the most unfortunate aspect about this whole thing is that the latter half of it is rather dull. You get bored and you begin to feel like this thing is longer than it actually is and i've always said this i've said it on this podcast and i've even said it in real life on social media and to other people in person i said the biggest crime any movie or tv series can commit is to not be entertaining i don't care if you have the most uh you know the the most outlandish type of story that doesn't make sense but if it's entertaining you've got me hooked and this second half is just pitifully dull and that is the most tragic thing about this miniseries where yeah there's nothing as i said earlier there's nothing special about this miniseries there just isn't there's nothing Mm -hmm. groundbreaking happening here but you still could have made just another really exciting giant monster on the loose destroying cities and that sort of thing uh taking place in the end you created something that kind of touched upon some of that stuff but in the end it became this zequel type of experience that <laughs> frustrated the I hell like, out of me i like how you just uh, try to bring in zequel uh, just for that <laughs> sponsor the podcast actually, no, <laughs> uh, but yeah i mean with the story with the first half of it they they had you know kind of a potential thing uh, sort of going on great, with it. It was great build-up. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was pretty good. They, I mean, they, I mean, they had the potential of trying to go somewhere with uh, this particular, not only the story, but uh, the monster as well. And I don't know if they had any implications of, you know, try to reuse uh, Aegon after this, or if it's just a one-off, who knows. I doubt it. Um, but uh, just... With how it was going at first, they had something going on there. But then when it came to, like you said, with the whole uh, robber uh, scenario in the second half, it just sort of, yeah, just sort of started to go downhill. There was there wasn't really 
nothing much of any interest or any excitement uh, going on, uh, especially again uh, with the whole boat thing. It's just like the whole cave uh, scene in the first half where it just took way too long where they could have used more of that time for anything else possibly try to bring uh, the audience into the whole miniseries more but it just felt like that they just couldn't think of any ideas for these uh, two uh, situations within this miniseries. Well, like I said a moment ago, I think what they thought was, okay, we need some sort of excitement, and that's better than nothing. So they put in this whole hostage drama in there. But I really thought, look, um, there could have been a better way you could have done this. And and again, some of this may depend on the budget, but I really think – and this I don't think would have taken that much extra money, if at all, where you spent more time having the journalists and the scientists maybe just trying to figure out the origin of Aegon, trying to learn more about him, um, and, getting and- these main characters' backstory involved more. Yes, it's pretty late to be doing that, but – it's better than bringing in two characters that are not main characters into the film just for the sake of trying to entertain them. But at the same time, it really has nothing to do with the main premise of the film. It, and, and it should have sort of went – should have gone to the route of what uh, the first Gamera movie did. All it was is, uh, you know, with the – you know, focusing on the scientists Focus and is the main word and uh, trying to figure out the origins of Gamera and you know focusing on them. Nothing else. Um, maybe some of the reporters that were part of it too. It's been a while since I've last watched uh, the first Gamera movie. Like versions of that film. <laughs> but yeah, uh, and and with the whole uh, robbers in. In this uh, miniseries, it just felt like it, there was a wrench just thrown into the whole machine, just kind of sort of interfered with uh, the whole uh, flow or stream and just sort of, you know, just kind of messed a lot of stuff up. The only thing that I could think of that would be a legitimate excuse to put this subplot into the film would be if your main characters, if one of them or all of them may have had some weird scheduling conflict at the time because uh, maybe they were doing something else and the studio producing this was saying, well, shoot, we're on a tight you know, we're on a tight shooting schedule here. We need to try to get this done at such a date. We are not done yet. We need something. And then so they brought this in. That would be the only legitimate excuse I could say that would justify this. But I highly doubt that. I highly doubt that was the issue here. And like you said, like I didn't even think about it, but that's a good example. And- the, the original camera. And like you said, you said the key word, focus. And that's not what happened when they decided to bring in these robbers here or these crook, whatever you want to call them, uh, druggies, uh, into <laughs> the the film. The, it, the, the best thing you can do in any kaiju movie because people – let's face it. People come to these things for the monsters. They don't come for the characters. Yes, if you mm-hmm. have great characterizations and stuff like the original Gojira, hey, that's great. You know, But that's an added bonus. People come to these by and large – for the giant monsters 
focus like you don't necessarily have to have Aegon on the screen but if you talk about them and maybe you have you know some pictures drawn and stuff where the characters are going through a book trying to learn about it or whatever that's that's intriguing because you're learning about it and and all that you're you're learning more things with the main characters as you go through the film that's what they should have done. And again, like I said, that probably would have cost next to nothing extra. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it actually would have been cheaper because they did some underwater shooting uh, a couple of times for this whole druggy deal that they did uh, in the latter part of this film. It probably would have been cheaper, mm-hmm. but that's not the route they took. And that's what's so frustrating because – there's just like you said there's just a lack of focus it it, it is a totally different thing for a good chunk of it and even then at the end when Aegon is the main focus again next to nothing happens and it's frustrating and it's disappointing because like we both said just a little bit ago the the first half of this mini series and the build up to it is superb it's just about as good as what you'll get throughout most kaiju films mm-hmm. uh, at the time you know uh, and then they just again the ending is supposed to be your big exciting set piece and it goes out in a whimper mm-hmm. yeah and Probably the last thing I'm going to at least touch upon before probably uh, move on here since we kind of talked about the, this whole situation for a bit. But my uh, uh, final point on this is that, yeah, when it does come to the whole robber uh, situation as far as focusing, with the lack of focus part and when it comes to the robber thing, they don't necessarily talk about uh, Aegon being part of the film, which, yeah, it just sort of throws everything into a loop, and it's like, uh, what? I thought I was supposed to be watching a monster movie, not, so, not this sort of uh, uh, cop uh, type of uh, movie or <laughs> anything, what, what kind of other genre that they were trying to throw into this, and just didn't... Uh, it just threw everything into a loop at that point. It's my main issue with the movie Dagora. Uh, you know, to be perfectly honest, uh, you know, I, I I remember when I bought that movie, I was so excited. I'm like, all right, an, a, another Ashiro Honda kaiju film, and this time it's about a space jellyfish. Like, I, you know, what could go wrong? And then I watched it. I'm like, what the hell? Like, the, the, the kaiju's barely – that movie, I think – uh, does it worse than this because at least throughout half the movie Aegon is the central focus whereas in Dagora you probably get like five minutes of Dagora in an hour and a half film and you know that that, that to me has always been one of the more disappointing of, of Honda's uh, tokusatsu films and uh, you know this film is kind of in that same line although I would say it's not as severe as Dagora Mm-hmm. Which is something. I mean, if, if you do something slightly better than, you know, some of Honda's work, I mean, you know, that's something. Uh, but still, it it, it 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 comes at the worst time. I think it would have been a little bit different if they did this at the beginning of the miniseries. If you had put this maybe at the beginning of the series and then you kind of switch things around a little bit and then rewrote it to accommodate what would happen next as the story progresses, it probably would have been better and ran more smoothly. But, 
And that's just not what happened. Mm-hmm. By the way, anybody who needs an editor and someone who's a cleanup writer for your script, I'm your man, especially, you know, with kaiju films, because I kind of <laughs> know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> so uh, since we're kind of beating a dead horse at this point, uh, let's just sort of uh, moving on. Uh, let's let's talk about uh, the, uh, the practical and visual effects uh, for this movie. So why don't you take it away? They're pretty good. You know, I, I would argue they're about as good as what you would get maybe with most camera films at the time. Uh, you know, the, the suit is good. It's not great. I mean, it's it, it's of slightly lower quality, but it's still good. Um, it it seems it's supposed to do. It seems to, to be a, a little bit of a thinner uh, material just when you see it up close in some of the, uh, uh, the shots. Yeah, and and it's not as mobile. It's not as well detailed and defined as what you'll see with somebody like Toho. But but when um, it does come to uh, detail, probably the most fascinating part of the suit that I've seen by far, com- even comparing to some of the other uh, kaiju sh- suits over the years, is kind of the whole breathing uh, mechanism aspect yeah. that they put onto Aegon. Yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, that's that's good i mean it's a it's a slight detail that basically most people either forgot or didn't care to especially for a tv show that's uh you know probably on a uh tight budget too well yeah and um really the only thing that i would consider to be the most jarring is when they show stock footage at the self-defense force because that film that they show when they cut to those brief moments it's very obvious that stock footage the film quality is less and at the same time it's very scratchy it's got a lot of film artifact on it and mm-hmm. you know that that's the most jarring thing but w- again it's a mini series that whose budget is you know very minimal so you know again how far are you willing to criticize it in that aspect i'm willing to criticize it a little bit but not too far mm-hmm. and besides uh the suit uh being pretty good for on a tight budget uh mini series for what it is i would also would have to say when it comes to the buildings the miniatures on that front, especially for a TV show and comparing it to like uh, the later uh, Ultraman uh, TV shows, because this was made like a, a few years before the first Ultraman uh, was televised. And just with the miniatures and what they had, uh, with all the money that they had, these uh, practical effects, I think. Uh, and many chairs were pretty darn good. Yeah, well, and then we're forgetting, too, they made, uh, you know, part of a large section of the tail at one point, too. I, I don't mm. know how much that Yeah, I almost forgot. Uh, it's decent looking, but to be perfectly honest with you, I would rather wish that they hadn't done that and they had put that money towards more moments of miniature work and, and work to get some like, uh, you know, small tanks and pyrotechnics in there to go and confront Aegon, you know, that sort of stuff. Uh, I, I would rather that they put it towards something like that than a, a giant tail that literally is used for maybe no more than two minutes and you know i i just 
you know, I, I would rather just see more city destruction and tanks shooting at it than I would that. Because especially for a miniseries, what you need to do is is use your money more wisely. And I feel like here with this particular miniseries, they, they – we're half and half on it you know in some areas they i think spent the money well in other areas no they they made the wrong decisions Mm -hmm. yeah so um yeah i can't really think of uh anything else on the whole practical visual effects part well maybe one last thing i think when it comes to some of the visual effects with the fire and some of the other uh matte screens and everything. I think some of it did age uh, pretty darn well or sort of matched up uh, well, especially when it comes to like the matte screens. They they almost sort of blended in with the whole foreground. Yeah, I mean, again, um, the effects work here, I think, in many ways uh, – you know, is pretty darn good. Um, you have to remember, though, because like you were comparing it with Ultraman, you have to remember, I think, miniseries uh, for a one-shot story kind of like this is going to have a higher budget than, let's say, the equivalent of even four television episodes that would equal out to be the same length. Because television, you know, typically is done on the cheap, uh, even back then. And, um, you know, they have even tighter schedules then um, as well. So, um I mean, again, yeah, on some levels it's impressive, uh, even for its time. And, and even like you said, uh, some of that stuff even holds up fairly well today. And yeah, I mean, I'm willing to give them props uh, where I think they deserve it. And, and definitely, there, there are just some shots in here that are done very well. There's some that are okay, and there's some that are meh. And I think, um, you know, that's kind of to be expected, more or less, out of something kind of like this. Mm-hmm. So with that, I kind of want to move on to the music. And when it comes to the music, all in all, there really isn't much music to be heard in this movie. But I think uh, with the sort of music choice that they did when it comes to certain areas, and it's just pretty minimal parts. But I think they did a pretty good job when it comes to to the whole music and just uh and i think it kind of adds the atmosphere to uh the kind of movie that they want to go with and i think they put it put the music in the right areas and with with the majority of the film i think even without the music it just felt I think pretty good and just sort of fits right into this kind of overall uh, kind of film that they're trying to go with. I kind of want to stop the talk on the music for just a second. I want to go back to just sort of how we were talking about how the second half of this series was different. No, <laughs> no, because I think I got I got a couple bits of important information here. This series had two different writers and two different directors, and you had one writer, Kozo Uchida Ukita, who did Uchida. episodes three and four, and then those episodes three and four were done by a different director named uh, Fuminori Ohashi, and then for episodes one and two, Norio Mine. And it says Shinichi Sekizawa, but it doesn't have episodes one and four in parentheses by his name. Like or one and two. Three and four. Uh, yeah, like it does by the other writer. 
I don't know if that means Sekizawa wrote episodes one and two or if he just is in general a consultant overall. I'm not sure. But that explains an awful lot, uh, I, I think, about the issues that we have with this miniseries is that you have two different writers, two different directors. Um, you know, obviously, like we said, this is a miniseries. Japan was a, a tad different than the U.S. in that they had tended to have tighter shooting schedules and smaller budgets for a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think um, they were like, OK, we're going to make everything all at once. So I think they had two different crews out doing their own things and then eventually you know came together during the post-production process and you know edited everything uh, together where appropriate but i think that is the big problem with this film is that you just have two different uh, groups of people with two different sets of ideas on how to approach this so um yeah i don't like crew number two uh, I, I think uh, they, they make a pretty boring film. But uh, as for, going back to the music here, um, uh, Wataro Saito, who is the composer for this, um, yeah, I'm not familiar with his. I'm not familiar with his work. I, I've never heard of his name before. I haven't either. Uh, it, it's fine. I mean, I barely notice it. I, I obviously notice it more uh, with the introduction of each episode. Um, you know, it's kind of creepy and stuff like that. I kind of like that vibe. But by and large, I, I mean, there, there just isn't much to say because it's not that noticeable. I don't think it plays a whole lot over the course of the, of, of the film or the miniseries as well. You know, it's it's okay. You know. <laughs> it's okay. I, I really don't have a strong opinion about it. So, um, I can't really think of anything else off the top of my head unless if you have uh, anything else you want to get off your chest. Again, crew number two, you guys needed to step up and you failed. <laughs> <laughs> you failed. I mean, you, you made a crappy second half of a, what was actually a pretty decent kaiju type of flick. But yeah, I mean, short podcast here, just go into final thoughts and just kind of give it a rating. Yeah, uh, when it comes to uh, this miniseries, uh, it's it's pretty good for what it is. First half, it was uh, really good. It had a lot of potential in a minus sort of kind of the long cave scene, which they should have uh, shortened that up quite a bit. Um, and then when it but then when it comes to the whole uh, robber scenario in the second half, it just sort of went downhill and just sort of in a uh, lackluster uh, sort of fashion. And I think there could have been more with it. I would have, in my opinion, probably can't as well, just take out the whole robber uh, situation from Aegon and just focus on the whole scientist and just try to have them figure out the origins of Aegon and trying to figure out other things besides, you know, trying to dump a whole suitcase of cocaine into Aegon. And, uh, and uh, yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah. Keyword of the day, focus. (laughs) So, um, bother that uh, decent story. Yeah. There should have been some major changes and some cuts. 
within some better additions to it. Uh, I would say uh, okay, pretty good uh, cast miniatures and uh, the monster suit. I would say out of all the uh, things that we talked about, this is probably one of the better, if not the best part of the movie. I would say probably one of the obvious best better parts of the movie uh music is pretty good as well you know not really used throughout the whole uh mini series but in certain areas kind of makes things a little bit creepy but uh other than that out of our rating if it's a a pass rent or uh, recommend, I would at least give this a decent rent. Yeah, I mean, uh, my sentiments by and large are the same as yours. In fact, the more we talked about it this time, the more I kind of got a little bit angry about the second half uh, <laughs> about the about the miniseries. About ready to Hulk out. <laughs> bad, bad half. Um, <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I mean, uh, the the first half of this is about as good as what you're going to get in most kaiju films uh, of the time. I mean, it is done fairly well. Yeah, it's not the greatest thing in the world, not the greatest acting or the greatest storytelling. Again, for the umpteenth time, there's no groundbreaking storytelling or, or anything of the sort uh, to – push the genre forward in any way mm-hmm. uh, happening in this miniseries. But it, it, it was entertaining uh, by and large. I, I mean, again, we come to these for the monsters and for special effects shots and that sort of thing. And by and large, the first two episodes do that. Uh, the way this thing concludes, though, it is a confusing just pile of burning dog shit more or less i mean it just um the like i said the more we've talked about it the more i realize just really kind of how bad and boring that second half is um it, it it really is the worst part about this and that's a damn shame because again uh you know, again, for the umpteenth time, your ending is supposed to be the most exciting moment in your entire film, miniseries, whatever. And that didn't happen here. In fact, it's the exact opposite. The first half of this miniseries is the most exciting. And, um, you know, it just it's disappointing because it started off so well and it ends off with you daydreaming or wanting to go do something else and it slows the pace so much that it feels like the whole project is a lot longer than it actually is and again like i said that's the biggest sin any piece of entertainment especially like a movie or tv show can do is to not be entertaining enough to engage the people watching it and that's the biggest problem with the second half of this whole miniseries. It is not engaging. It's not exciting. Uh, this should have been rewritten. They could have done it. That actually, like we uh, had given an example earlier, that probably would have actually been cheaper for them to write and to execute than what they ended up doing here with magical fairy dust being dumped into the ocean. Um, I, I just... I scratch my head and I just am kind of like – it would have been so obvious to 
yeah, if you had a tight budget, you still could have written something that had more focus and still would have been engaging enough with the main premise of this story. And they decided, no, we're going to go a different route. And the end result was something that not only feels like it came out of a different film, it also still just is not entertaining enough. And I don't care. Part of me at some point when I have seen this miniseries, I'm like, just shoot the boy. At least that'll be entertaining enough. Like, you just, your mind starts to go into dark areas just because you're so friggin' bored. You're wanting something exciting. You're wanting stakes to be raised. And it just... It doesn't happen uh, in the second half of this miniseries. And if they would have kept tighter focus on the premise, I think this could have been something that could have been a slight buy in our rating system. Uh, Instead, at best, it's a rent, which is what I'm going to give it. I still think uh, half of it, if half of it is good, but the other half isn't, in my book, that is a rent because it means there at least is enough there to engage you on some level to some extent. And yeah, I, I still recommend everybody watching at least once yes and clean the second half because maybe you might find that second half to be better than what we do but the first half of it if, if you know if you're coming here for the monster stuff like we did you're gonna be sorely disappointed once you know episode three of this miniseries starts up because Aegon is barely there and then when he does show up next and nothing happens and it's just a damn shame so mm-hmm. um and yeah, I mean, two rents. It's it's not the worst thing ever that you're gonna see, but what has me worked up is the fact that uh, it's just a huge disappointment considering how the whole thing started, and the fact that they could have cleaned up the second half of this miniseries and fixed it very easily, and mm-hmm. they decided not to do that. Yeah, just just wish it was real much more exciting, like uh, Galgameth. <laughs> At least that the movie is, is probably the surprise. Is by is by here. far is by <laughs> far better. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. Oh come on! Overall, it's more overall. It's more consistent. I don't know. It's hard to say. <laughs> but I'm saying compared to Aegon, I'd say it's in by far better. quality, yes. But at the same time, you have to remember that's a film, not a miniseries. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and so with that, we conclude our final episode of Daikaijin Network for the next two months here. Aegon, the Atomic Dragon, two rents. Again, not the worst thing you're ever going to see, but it's still, I think, worth checking out. <laughs> Definitely. So with that, uh, before we sign off, just want to mention that uh, just uh, make sure to uh, like and subscribe to our videos and as well as channels as far as uh, video streaming platforms. Uh, You got uh, YouTube, although we're not really streaming on there. I'm not sure if that's going to be a thing anymore. But uh, we're still streaming on uh, Facebook DLive, uh, Twitch, and Twitter. And as far as our audio versions of the podcast, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and as well as TuneIn. And you can also uh, watch us live at our own website at diakajunetwork.com. 
And so when we come back on December 18th, we're going to be doing a commentary on War of the Gargantuas. And then after that, we're going to be getting prepped for our end of the year spectacular. We don't know what the date of that is going to be just yet, but uh, we will let you know uh, at some point, um, either if not by the 18th, then shortly after we do the commentary to War of the Gargantuas on the 18th. So, Yeah, when it comes to the whole uh, commentary thing with my set up at uh my new place i'm gonna have to figure out how to how to watch that movie because i'm not sure if i'm gonna have a, a tv or uh some kind of external uh blu-ray or dvd drive for my uh, pc here so gonna have to figure that out so at least i got a couple more months to figure that out <laughs> well and, and on my end my response to that is uh, uh, to quote he-man not my fucking problem <laughs> <laughs> it should be your fucking problem. <laughs> I'm not the one moving, thankfully. <laughs> For now, it all depends. You may never I know. hope to never move except <laughs> into a grave later. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we're going to end. <laughs> Thank you so much for watching or listening, depending upon how you do it. And we will see you guys here in a couple of months. All right. Catch you guys later on December. Your palette, you'll be ready for more shenanigans. Yes. Uh, see you guys on December 18th. Take care. Woo!